It's Kohl's Friends and Family Sale. Take an extra 20% off. Save on Vans shoes for the family, $59.99 and under. Women's Sonoma tees are just $6.39. And get up to 50% off Croft and Barrow bed sheets. Plus, save on your back-to-school purchase. Plus, fast and free store pickup. And get a little more for your wallet with Kohl's Cash. Shop Kohl's and Kohl's.com. Select styles. Offers valid August 20th through August 23rd. 20% off with promo code FAMILYSHOP. 10 off 50 with promo code BTS10. Some exclusions apply. See store or Kohl's.com for details. The Leslie Marshall Show, the only true democracy in talk radio, of, for, and by you, the people. Live nationwide and streaming live at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Call in with your thoughts at 888-6-LESLIE. I hope you're also listening to me. Hey there, America. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Only true democracy in talk wherever you may get this show. Hello to those of you on Periscope through Twitter who can see me and to all of you listening on radio stations, on podcast, on streams worldwide. Welcome. We'd like to start a... What was that, Marky Mark? What are you doing? What are you doing to me? (laughs) We'd like to... Nothing, nothing. Don't you know men are supposed to be quiet to speak when you're spoken to? Oh, that's so sexist. I'm just joking. Uh, Anyway, let's start it off with a little thing we like to call Rick. I want you to take a listen to this because today there was a COVID-19 update, if you will. Uh, It was a hearing today on COVID-19 before the Senate. And we saw Dr. Anthony Fauci, who is the top infectious disease expert at the NIH, the National Institutes of Health, warning that the United States could see 100,000 new corona cases, ready, per day. This is what he said at the Senate hearing today on COVID-19. Take a listen. Dr. Fauci, back in March, you also said, quote, looking at what we're seeing now, you expected there to be between 100,000 and 200,000 coronavirus deaths and millions of infections in the U.S. So, Let's flash forward to late June. Here we are at the end of June. We've already seen 126,000 deaths with infection rates rising rapidly. Dr. Fauci, based on what you're seeing now, how many COVID-19 deaths and infections should America expect before this is all over? I can't make an accurate prediction, but it is going to be very disturbing. I will guarantee you that. Because when you have an outbreak in one part of the country, even though in other parts of the country they're doing well, they are vulnerable. I made that point very clearly last week at a press conference. We can't just focus on those areas that are having the surge. It puts the entire country at risk. We are now having 40-plus thousand new cases a day. I would not be surprised if we go up to 100,000 a day if this does not turn around. And so I am very concerned. 
a hundred thousand a day. You know what, folks? This is what bothers me um, more than a bit. People throw around numbers like 120. Oh, only 125,000 people died. Those are people. Those aren't just numbers. They're not just like, you know, scratch marks on a paper. They're human beings. They're somebody's mother, father, grandmother, grandfather, sister, brother, son, daughter, friend, coworker, mentor. They're human beings. 125,000. Just awful. Let's rip another. In hundreds of highly classified phone calls with foreign heads of state, the president was so consistently unprepared for discussion of serious issues so often outplayed in his conversations with powerful leaders like Russian President Vladimir Putin or the Turkish president, and so abusive to leaders of America's principal allies that calls helped convince some senior U.S. officials, including his former secretary of state and secretaries of defense, two national security advisors, and his longest-serving chief of staff, that the president himself posed a danger to the national security of the United States of America. That's according to White House intelligence officials intimately familiar with the contents of these conversations. The cause caused former top Trump deputies, including national security advisors H.R. McMaster and Ambassador John Bolton, who I'll be interviewing tomorrow here on the show, Defense Secretary James Mattis, Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, and White House Chief of Staff John Kelly, as well as intelligence officials. Well, well, they concluded the president was often, quote, delusional, as two sources put it, in his dealings with foreign leaders. You know, foreign policy cannot and should not be played out on Twitter. Uh, These sources said there was little evidence that the president became more skillful or competent in his telephone conversations with most heads of state over time. Rather, he continued to believe that he could either charm, jawbone, or bully almost any foreign leader into catapulting to his, capitulating, excuse me, to his will, and often pursued goals more attuned to his own agenda than what many of his senior advisors considered the national interest. Now, these officials' concerns about the calls, particularly the deference the president has and has to Vladimir Putin, Russia's president. They take on new residents now with reports that the president may have learned in March that Russia had offered the Taliban bounties to kill U.S. troops in Afghanistan and yet took no action. Now, I want to be clear here. This isn't just a left-wing, progressive, liberal, democratic conspiracy. Although Pentagon, everyone in the military, everyone in national security, has not confirmed this, they haven't denied it, right? They haven't confirmed it, but they haven't denied it. Now, I know you say, Leslie, you're standing on the grassy knoll, but hear me out. Russia is very concerned about what happens in Afghanistan. And it would make total sense that Russia would cut some kind of nasty deal with the Taliban because Russia is terrified when they look at the withdrawal and the and the drawdown of American troops more and more over time, the, the weaning away, if you will, of America's presence in Afghanistan, Russia is terrified that the Islamic fundamentalism in Afghanistan would spread into Russia. They don't want it. They can't handle it. And therefore, who would you cut a deal with? Islamic fundamentalists like the Taliban. Who would be responsible for that, wouldn't they? And the Taliban have denied this, so of course we believe it. Russia denies it, so of course we believe it. And further, President Trump seems to admire a really tough, ruthless leaders. Uh, Lil' Kim in North Korea, 
and also Vladimir Putin. Um, in addition to that, when we look at Russia and we look at this administration, I said this on TV earlier today, the, the Trump administration has been ambiguous when it comes to Russia and Vladimir Putin. On the one hand, they always accept the denials from Putin in Russia, but on the other, they're leery of Russia in the Middle East. Well, why not be leery of Russia and what they would do in Afghanistan? And remember, both Russia and China want dominance, not just militarily, and they want it in space, and they certainly want it economically. Over the United States and in Afghanistan, they could just rush in and have economic advantage over the United States in Afghanistan because we would be leaving, we would be gone at some point. So anyway, in March, like I said, uh, there, uh, the may, the president may have learned in March that Russia had offered the Taliban bounties. So another, all of that to say it is feasible, uh, that Russia had offered the Taliban bounties to kill us troops in Afghanistan yet took no action. Now sources at CNN said that there were calls between Putin and Trump about Trump's desire to end the military presence in Afghanistan. We know that we know he had that desire and has, but they mentioned no discussion of the supposed Taliban bounties, but the by far the greatest number of Trump's telephone discussions with an individual head of state were with the president of Turkey. He sometimes phoned the White House at least twice a week. He was put through directly to the president on standing orders from Trump himself, according to those sources. Meanwhile, the president regularly bullied and demeaned the leaders of America's principal allies, especially two women, telling Prime Minister Theresa May of the United Kingdom she was weak and lacked courage, and telling German Chancellor Angela Merkel that she was stupid. Oh, and if you find that hard to believe, he has a pattern of repeated behavior of misogynistic and demeaning uh, attitudes, uh, patronizing attitudes toward women. Trump's incessantly boasted to his fellow heads of state, including Saudi Arabia's autocratic royal heir, Mohammed bin Salman, and North Korean director, uh, dictator, excuse me, director, yeah, it's like a movie, his own, right? Uh, dictator Kim Jong-un, uh, about his own wealth, genius, great accomplishments as president and the idiocy of his Oval Office predecessors. And that's according to the sources as well. Now, in his conversations with both the Russian and the Turkish president, Trump took special delight in trashing former presidents George W. Bush and Barack Obama and suggested that dealing directly with him, Donald Trump, would be far more fruitful than during previous administrations. He said they didn't know BS. That's of Bush and Obama, one of his several derisive tropes. The sources said he favored when discussing his predecessors with the Turkish and Russian leaders. Now, the full detailed picture drawn by CNN sources of Trump phone calls with foreign leaders is consistent with the basic tenor and uh, substantial elements of a limited number of calls described by former National Security Advisor John Bolton in his book, The Room Where It Happened. And we're going to be talking with Ambassador Bolton about this book tomorrow live here with me, Leslie Marshall. But the calls described to CNN cover a far longer period than the tenure of John Bolton, uh, former Ambassador Bolton, and they're much more comprehensive and seemingly more damning in their suite. That's what's ripped the headlines. We're going to take a break, come back, have more from Ripped. And on the other side of the hour, we're going to talk with CNN military analyst and Colonel if you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. We are back. 
back. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back. Only True Democracy in Talk. Continuing our ripped from the headlines segment now. Uh, we were talking about how so many former officials, whether it's uh, defense or, um, you know, uh, not press secretaries, but, uh, you know, assistants and, you know, just others. Uh, former Ambassador John Bolton will be on the show tomorrow uh, pitching his book, which I have here called The Room Where It Happened. Um Two sources had described the president as woefully uninformed about the history of the Syrian conflict, for example, the Middle East in general. They said he was taken off guard. He lacked sufficient knowledge to engage on equal terms in nuanced policy discussions with leaders like Vladimir Putin and the Turkish president. As a matter of fact, uh, many said that the Turkish president took him to the cleaners. Actually, one of those sources said that. And those sources also said that um, policy decisions for the United States on Syria, uh, such as the president's directive to pull U.S. forces out of the country, which then allowed Turkey to attack Kurds, would help the U.S. fight ISIS and weaken NATO's role in the conflict. Those were directly linked to the t- Turkish president's ability to get his way with Donald Trump in just a phone call. Trump occasionally became angry at the Turkish president, sometimes because of the demands that Turkey be granted preferential trade status and because the Turkish leader would not release an imprisoned American evangelical pastor, Andrew Brunson, who was accused of aiding terrorism in a coup in 2016 that attempted to overthrow the Turkish president. Brunson was eventually released in October of 2018. Now, despite the lack of advance notice for many of these calls, which is not usual, right, for somebody just to pick up the phone one leader to another without any kind of an appointment or advance notice, um, uh, you know, what, the, you know the, the people at the White House have taken notes on this, by the way. Um, there are also computer text of the conversations. I mean, so this is all recorded. And according to one high-level source, There's also existing summaries and conversation readouts of the president's discussion with the Turkish president that actually might reinforce the allegations John Bolton made against Trump in the Hulk Bank case. That involved a major Turkish bank with suspected ties to the Turkish president and to his family. And that source said that matter was raised in more than one telephone conversation between the U.S. president and the Turkish president. Bolton wrote in his book that in December 2018, at the urging of the president of Turkey, Donald Trump offered to interfere in an investigation by then U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York, Jeffrey Berman, sound familiar, into the Turkish bank, which was accused of violating U.S. sanctions on Iran. Quote, Trump then told Erdogan that he would take care of things, explaining that the Southern District prosecutors were not his people, but were Obama people, a problem that would be fixed when they were replaced by his people. John Bolton wrote about that. Berman's office eventually brought an indictment against the bank in October 2019 for fraud, money laundering, and other offenses related to participation in a multi-billion dollar scheme to evade the U.S. sanctions on Iran. And on June 20th, Trump fired Berman whose office is also investigating Rudy Giuliani, who's the president's personal lawyer, after the prosecutor refused to resign at Attorney General William Barr's direction. Unlike Bolton, CNN sources did not assert or suggest specifically that Trump's calls with Erdogan might have been grounds for impeachment because of possible evidence of unlawful conduct by the president. Rather, they characterized the president's calls with heads of state in the aggregate of evidence of Trump's general unfitness for the presidency on grounds of temperament and incompetence. That's an assertion, by the way, that Bolton also made as well in an interview to promote his book that he had with ABC News last week. Quote, I don't think he's fit for office. I don't think he has the competence to carry out the job. We're going to talk about that 
uh, with the ambassador tomorrow uh, because he doesn't think that uh, Trump should have a second term. Who's he going to vote for? Well, if you don't know yet, uh, I will tell you and I will actually hold him to task on his response to that. CNN has spoken to sources familiar with the president's phone calls repeatedly, and they did so over four months. In their interviews, they took great care not to disclose specific national security information and classified details, but rather describe the broad contents of many of the calls, overall tenor and methodology of Trump's approach to his telephone conversations with foreign leaders. Now, in addition to rough voice-generated software transcription, transcription, almost all of the telephone conversations with Putin and Erdogan and leaders of the Western Alliance were supplemented and documented by extensive uh, note takers, often summaries prepared by Fiona Hill, deputy assistant to the president, senior NSC director for Europe and Russia until her resignation last year. She listened to most of the president's calls with Putin, Erdogan and the European leaders, according to her testimony behind closed doors before the House Intelligence Committee in November of last year. Elements of that testimony by Fiona Hill if re-examined by congressional investigators, might provide a detailed roadmap of the president's extensively documented conversations. White House, uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, their voice-generated transcriptions and underlying documents uh, that agree that the contents could be devastating to the president's standing with members of Congress of both parties and the public if revealed in great detail. There's little doubt that Trump would invoke executive privilege to keep the conversations private, uh, some former officials with detailed knowledge of many of the conversations say he might be willing to testify about them because you know he likes to be on camera. In one of the earliest calls between Putin and Trump, the president's son-in-law, Jared Kushner, and Ivanka Trump, you know, those foreign policy experts, uh, were in the room to listen. Joining McMaster, Tillerson Hill, and a State Department aide to Tillerson, an NSC, NSC deputy who read a detailed summary of the conversation, said, quote, the call was all over the place. And this conversation was with Putin speaking at length, the president propping himself up in a short autobiographical uh, burst of bragging, self-congratulatory remarks, and then flattering Putin. Uh, as described to CNN, Kushner and Ivanka Trump were immediately effusive in their praise of how Trump had handled the call. Tillerson, who knew Putin well from his years in Russia as an oil executive, Hill and McMaster, well, they were all skeptical. Hill uh, author of a definitive biography of Putin started to explain some of the nuances she perceived from the call um, and offering insight into the psychology of Putin, his typical smooth talking and linear approach and what the Russian leader was trying to achieve in the call. Hill was cut off by Trump. Uh, the president continued discussing the call with his son-in-law and daughter, making clear he wanted to hear the congratula congratulatory evaluation of his daughter and her husband rather than how Hill, Tillerson, or McMaster judged the conversation with a foreign leader who we can't trust and who's more of an enemy than a friend. McMaster viewed that early phone call with Putin as indicative of the conduct of the whole relationship between Russia and the Trump administration, a conclusion subsequent national security advisors, chief of staffs, numerous high-ranking intelligence officials also reached. Uh, unlike in previous administrations, there were relatively few meaningful dealings between military and diplomatic professionals, even at the highest levels, because Trump He's distrustful of experts and dismissive of their attempts to brief him. He conducted the relationship largely ad hoc with Putin and almost totally by himself. Let's rip another. 
Today, the European Council said it had adopted a recommendation to allow a list of 14 countries to enter the EU's external borders beginning on July 1st, left off travelers from here, Russia, Brazil, and other countries, because we failed to control the spread of the virus. Why does this matter? It's an international rebuke of this administration and this president and the handling of the pandemic. While the recommendations will be reviewed every two weeks, the guidelines suggest that the United States residents won't be allowed to travel to the EU until the spread of the coronavirus is under control domestically. The guidelines allow people from countries with the average of infections for 100,000 inhabitants over the last two weeks is similar or below that of the EU. Let's rip another. Lastly, retired Marine fighter pilot Amy McGrath defeated State Rep Charles Booker in the race for Kentucky's Democratic Senate nomination. Congrats, Amy. I'm Leslie Marshall. We'll be back after Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. We are back on Leslie Marshall, and I'm glad to have with us uh, one of my favorite people, actually, not just guests, but he's also one of my favorite guests. And I always learn a lot when he's on. I hope you will this afternoon as well. Joining us is Colonel Cedric Layton. He's founder and president of Cedric Layton Associates. They're a strategic risk and leadership consultancy serving global companies and organizations. Now, he founded it back in 2010. But prior to that, he was in the U.S. Air Force for 26 years as an intelligence officer. And of course, Colonel has attained the rank of Colonel. Colonel Layton can also be seen regularly on CNN, where he is a military analyst. On Twitter, please follow him there at Cedric Layton at capital C E D R I C L E I G H T O N. The L is also capitalized. His website, same thing, CedricLayton.com. Uh, more than a pleasure to have back the Colonel. Colonel Layton, thank you for joining us and taking the time uh, today on this Tuesday, sir. Welcome and welcome back. Always a pleasure to have you with us. So thank you so much, Leslie. It's great to be with you again. Okay. We are hearing a lot about Russia again. Uh, maybe Mitt Romney was right. I hate to admit that. Uh, top officials in the White House were aware in early 2019 of classified intelligence indicating that Russia was secretly offering bounties to the Taliban for the deaths of Americans. It's a full year earlier than had previously been reported, according to U.S. officials that have direct knowledge of the intelligence. With your intelligence, your expertise, your background, we're hearing so many stories here. We're hearing that this went back to the time of the Obama administration. Uh, we're hearing this is nothing new. We're hearing, oh, we're, we we can't uh, substantiate this uh, from the Pentagon uh, and from national security. And of course, the president's like, I never heard about it. And some people are saying the president wasn't briefed about it. You are always, a, a, you know, a saber, a lightsaber of truth in the darkness. Um, help help us make sense of this and uh, looking at the truth and what likely is the truth because there's a lot of. He said, he said, <laughs> out there with regard to this. Yes, there, there certainly is, Leslie. So, you know, from the standpoint of an intelligence operation, it's pretty clear that the Russians have done things like this in the past. So this kind of behavior is not abnormal or not aberrant, uh, you know, as far as the Russians are concerned. So that's that's point one. So it's a it's certainly a possible scenario. Now, when you look at this specific case and, uh, you know, when things were actually going on, uh, it does seem to me very credible that uh, this could 
could have started about a year ago, uh, and perhaps even a bit before that, uh, because the Kremlin is very interested in uh, two things. They want us out of Afghanistan for a variety of reasons. And number two, they really want to provide payback to us for what they perceive to be our operations against uh, the Soviet forces that invaded Afghanistan mm. back in the wow. 1980s. So it goes that far back, and that's the kind of thing that we're uh, that we're dealing with here, Leslie. Because what uh, you know, the Russians have a long memory. Uh, you know, we tend to be we Americans tend to be kind of short term in our thinking sometimes. Uh, these guys they think long term, and if you did something to their father or their grandfather, they will remember that, and in many cases they will uh, come back uh, to either go after you or go after your descendants, and uh, they don't mind waiting, and that's. That's what's different about them in this case. And I think uh, I think it's very credible that something uh, like a bounty uh, you know, operation uh, did occur. Uh, and I think it's very possible that they used a bunch of Afghan middlemen to do this this kind of work. Russia also has been showing whether it's poisoning people in the UK, um, that they have an issue with the West, and it's not just the United States. But before we get to that, you had mentioned there are a number of reasons why Russia would want us out of Afghanistan. And even before that, I had heard that Russians are fearful of Islamic fundamentalism and the rise of that seeping from Afghanistan into Russia. They have they share close borders uh, with each other. Uh, a, is that true? And B, what is the benefit and why does Russia have its eye on Afghanistan and want us out? So uh, as far as them fearing, the Russians fearing Islamic fundamentalism, that is an absolute fear that they have. And in many cases, it is justified. So, uh, you know, when you look at it from the Russian standpoint, uh, it is not irrational uh, to uh, want to do something against Islamic fundamentalism. We have to go back to the period uh, right after 9-11. One of the first people to call then President George W. Bush was Vladimir Putin. And the Russians did offer uh, support for for our operations in Afghanistan uh, during that initial phase, basically we're talking the 2001, 2003, four, uh, that that period. They allowed us to uh, use a base in Kyrgyzstan, which is in their what they call their near abroad, and uh, that's an area that they believe they should control because uh, the countries that make that up are former members of the Soviet Union, uh, and they are also uh, possessions of the Tsars. If you want to go back even further than that, uh, so. So the Russians look at this as being uh, not only in their interest to uh, fight uh, Islamic fundamentalism, uh, it is something that they also look at in terms of who is sitting on their doorstep. So when you get to the, the part about why they want the Americans out, why they want us out, uh, it really uh, speaks to their idea to uh, make sure that anything that is close to their borders is as free of American influence as mm. possible. They don't like it that we're in Poland. They don't like it that we're anywhere near them in Eastern Europe. Uh, they also don't like anything that we're doing with Japan or, God forbid, with China as far from their point of view. So Afghanistan is something that they have been looking at since the time of the czars. Uh, they were heavily involved when the British uh, tried to do things in Afghanistan, and they did a lot of work against the Brits uh, in the late 19th century, early 20th century. Uh, fast forward into you know both the communist period as well as uh, the period of Putin, uh, what you see there is a reaction 
uh, to any type of activity that the West mounts in Afghanistan. That was one of the reasons uh, that uh, the Soviet Union at the time decided to invade Afghanistan. They thought uh, that not only was it unstable, but that Afghanistan's neutrality at the time in the 1970s was being compromised. Uh, so that was a reason for them to go in there, install a communist or pro-communist government. Uh, when that was toppled, uh, that uh, created uh, an excuse for them to invade. And then you have the situation where uh, they uh, stayed there for a while and lost 15,000 people, 15,000 soldiers. And uh, their sacrifice, uh, they see as, uh, you know, it's uh, far more than the United States has sacrificed, as painful as our, our sacrifices are. Uh, but it is, in essence, Russia's forgotten war. And uh, Putin sees any type of weakness on our part, whether it's uh, you know the desire that we have to get out of Afghanistan right now, or any other activities that we're doing that could threaten Russia as a way to, in essence, manipulate local populations and get them to uh, to side against us. And that's, that's what they're doing here. And it's very plausible that they did this. You worked in intelligence. You're a veteran. Thank you for your service. Um, is it a bad idea for us to get out of Afghanistan? I mean, we've had presidents left and right, Democrat and Republican, um, who have looked at this and considered this for, for years. Yeah, they have, and and you're absolutely right. I think uh, you know, in some ways, Afghanistan was considered the so-called good war, uh, whereas Iraq was the bad war. You know, this was something that you heard about during the Obama administration, and both labels, you know, of course, do a disservice to what has gone on in each of those countries. But uh, you know, there's the one big problem that we have in Afghanistan is that uh, you know we didn't have a really desired end state there. Mm -hmm. uh, the end state that we could have had would have been something like, uh, you know, let's get rid of the Taliban, which we accomplished uh, very quickly in, in 2001 uh, and the beginning of 2002, and then uh, get rid of Osama bin Laden. That took a lot longer, uh, but uh, we did that under the Obama administration in, in 2011, in, Mar in uh, May of 2011. And that, uh, you know, those two things, uh, especially the last one, could have been potentially a, a way, a mechanism for us to say, okay, we did the job, we're out of here, but if you do something against us uh, from Afghan soil ever again, whoever you might be, whether it's a group like the Taliban or Al-Qaeda or ISIS or any other group, uh, then we will come back. We could have said something like that, but instead we find ourselves mired in uh, not only what some would term nation building, but we also find ourselves mired in the whole Afghan political process. And the minute that you start studying Afghan politics, your head starts spinning because it is an incredibly complex thing. And that uh, that really becomes uh, you know, a, a real issue uh, for us. We, we make the mistake of uh, getting into these kinds of conflicts, but we never have a good plan for getting out of them. Yeah. Uh, so that, uh, you know, that's, that's the real problem with Afghanistan. And it's very yeah. difficult to get now at this point. We got it going in. I have a harder time with the end game of getting out. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with our guest. I hope you'll stick around with Colonel Cedric Layton, founder and president of Cedric Layton Associates. And as I said, he is a CNN military analyst on Twitter. Follow him there at Cedric Layton, C-E-D-R-I-C-L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N. His website, CedricLayton.com. I'm Leslie Marshall, back with the Colonel, back with you, talking more about this revelation we've heard about in the past couple of days right after this. Don't go away.
If you miss Leslie on TV this week, catch up at LeslieMarshallShow.com. Follow Leslie on Twitter. Just go to www.twitter.com slash Leslie Marshall, and we'll be sure to share your tweets. We are back, and we are back with Colonel Cedric Layton, founder and president of Cedric Layton Associates. Also a a veteran, U.S. Air Force, 26 years, intelligence officer there, attaining the rank of colonel, and he is a military analyst on CNN. You can see him there. The colonel's Twitter handle is at Cedric Layton, C-E-D-R-I-C-L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N, and his website, CedricLayton.com. Colonel, thank you for holding uh, welcome back. We're talking about uh, sources uh, that have released uh, information that the White House was aware of uh, Russia uh, cutting a deal with the Taliban and putting bounties on American military uh, personnel um, last year in, in 2019. Um, Colonel, you are a veteran. Um, if it, It's kind of hard because now you're looking back. But if, if you were in the military today and you heard this, what would your reaction be? And, and you know, would it be different than what your reaction is now uh, as a retired colonel? Probably not that much. Uh, I mean, you know, when you look, Leslie, at uh, the the possible uh, way in which uh, the Russians uh, put a bounty on American soldiers' heads, uh, that, you know, gets your blood boiling. You can't help it, you know, especially if you're a member of the military. And you never lose that bond. You never lose that uh, feeling for uh, your fellow servicemen and women. And that uh, that becomes, I think, the, the key factor here. So if I were still in the military, of course, my specific actions would depend on what my job was. But uh, assuming that I had something to do with this, one of the very first things that I would do is make sure that everybody knew uh, that this was at least a possibility. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, you know, when you have intelligence information, it's not going to be 100% right. Uh, and you're not going to get it, uh, you know, as in as timely a way as, as you would often like. But uh, the fact of the matter is it uh, it was corroborated information from both interrogations as well as financial transactions, uh, intercepts, uh, other uh, sources that uh, the United States has access to. And because of that, I, I would you know lend a lot of credibility to it. So at the very least, I would make sure, Uh, that the force protection measures that are in place for the soldiers, sailors, airmen, and Marines in Afghanistan would be heightened and that we would keep a lookout to see if, in fact, uh, Taliban bounty hunters uh, were uh, actually engaging in operations. And that, that I think, would be the key thing in this case. The Pentagon and national security and other intelligence uh, individuals are not denying it, but they're not confirming it. And they're also talking about in the White House and the administration and even outside uh, the administration, how the president, uh, you know, would not know about it because they have not confirmed it. They have not substantiated um, this. But they say that the assessment was included in it one, one of, at least one of the president's written daily intelligence briefings. Um, and it was then uh, National Security Advisor John Bolton, who's going to be on the show tomorrow, uh, told colleagues at the time that he had briefed Trump on the intelligence assessment uh, back in March of last year. Uh, like I said, we're having Ambassador Bolton on the show tomorrow. Um, we're going to ask him about that uh, in addition to some other things. Um, 
But is it possible that the president would not be made aware or would he have been made aware? But maybe Donald Trump didn't know because Donald Trump readily admits that he doesn't always read these briefings. Well, it's certainly possible that, uh, you know, either they didn't tell him or that he heard it and it didn't compute. You know, he didn't realize what was uh, what was going on or how important this actually was. Uh, but, uh, you know, you should have if you're the president, you should have people who can help you understand the importance of certain pieces of information. If if I were in the National Security Council, uh, you know, and I got this piece of information and I was serving this president, I would uh, do my best to make sure that he understood that this could mean that American soldiers' lives were actually in danger as a result of this. And even if uh, the information isn't completely corroborated, you, you know, you have to say that intelligence is often you know, one of those arts of the possible or the probable. And uh, it is, uh, and even the improbable sometimes should be briefed, even at the highest levels, just because of its importance and uh, the consequences that could flow from uh, something like this actually being true. Uh, so, you know, in, uh, you know, if you want to be cautious as an intelligence uh, person, uh, you make sure that they know things like this, because if they are true, uh, they can have a significant impact, uh, not only militarily, but politically as well. So how common is it for intelligence to be confirmed without a shadow of a doubt before being presented to top officials, even the top, like the president? Not very. Not very common at all, Leslie. Uh, you know what? What basically happens with intelligence? It's our best estimate of what's going on in places that don't always want to talk to us about what they're doing, uh, and uh, as a result of that, that means that we have to kind of guess at what they're doing. We have to pull different sources together, and you know if the reporting is uh, even half accurate uh, when it comes to this particular story, it's very clear that they pulled so many different sources together, interrogations of uh, Taliban members, interrogations of Afghan businessmen, interrogations of Afghan political leaders, uh, interrogations of, of others that may have been involved. And then they were following the money. They were looking at exactly where the money was going. They had traced certain accounts to uh, the GRU, the Russian Military Intelligence Service, who has the, a unit that does political assassinations. Uh, and this is the kind of thing that uh, you know brings, brings all of this together. You put together what amounts to a mosaic of all the different things that are happening. And if you see certain and trends coming together, you can be pretty sure that that's what they're doing. You know, to uh, you know, to look at percentages when you think about the raid that killed Osama bin Laden that resulted in his death, um, it was about 50% certain that bin Laden was actually where he was in his compound in Pakistan. Um, you know, 50% uh, not that great, and those aren't great odds, really, but uh, the president knew enough uh, that, and he, you know, basically felt it was good enough at least to try something. And that is the kind of, uh, you know, kind of the nature of intelligence in, in these situations. It's never certain, uh, but you can divine some things. And if you follow the target long enough, you can get a pretty good feel for what the target is up to. The president is the commander in chief, right? He's the president uh, over all of the military. And on Sunday, former Ambassador Bolton suggested to NBC that Trump was claiming ignorance of Russia's provocations to justify the lack of response by his administration. I buy that. But the Pentagon and national intelligence and, you know, others, are they just trying to help 
you know, the facade of ignorance to justify, um, you know, because to, to me, there's, I have seen people, we've certainly seen people, especially in this administration, break away and actually leave. A lot of them have left uh, working for the president in this White House um, because of some of these types of things. So do you think it's it's more that uh, they don't, they haven't specifically uh, verified this or are they backing up his claiming of ignorance uh, and playing along to justify this lack of response, the lack of response in this administration, which they are uh, a part of? Well, I think it's that's the key phrase right there, Leslie, the administration that they are a part of. Uh, and you always have to remember the top levels of the Pentagon, at least on the on the civilian side, uh, and any other agency, those are all political appointees. They owe their jobs to the president, and they will do what they think they need to do in order to protect his equities. And in this case, they believe that, uh, you know, ignorance is, I guess, bliss in this case, in their view. Uh, it isn't, but that's, that's what they think. Uh, if ignorance is bliss, then they're going to say, well, he didn't see it, or we didn't really know, we couldn't verify it, uh, you know, all of these different excuses, but they are excuses. Uh, the fact of the matter is, if you really understand intelligence, you know it's never perfect. Uh, it is uh, both art and science meshed together, and these are the kinds of things that you have to put together in a case like this, because you're building that mosaic or that puzzle, and you're trying to divine the truth from that, uh, from that aspect of it. Are you surprised that uh, the administration allegedly having an earlier awareness of these efforts by Russia, um, why this administration, why the president didn't take punitive action against Moscow for its efforts? Because they were putting the lives, if in fact this is true, of American service members at risk. Um, unfortunately, I'm not surprised. I mean, you know, I, I come from this uh, from a completely different angle, I think, than the president. But my number one job was always to protect the people that I was either supporting if they were in the field and I was at a headquarters or the people that I was commanding if, if we were part of the same unit. And it's that kind of an ethos uh, that I don't see replicated in this in this White House. And uh, unfortunately, I'm not surprised uh, if the president president developed a feeling for his troops, uh, then he would have acted. Colonel, one yes or no answer. After being saluted by so many for so long, do you make you like your wife salute you? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I salute you, Colonel. <laughs> oh, thank you, so you know much, I love Leslie. You. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure to have you with us. CNN military analyst, Colonel Cedric Layton. He is also founder and president of Cedric Layton Associates, the 26-year veteran as an intelligence officer. Uh, with the U.S. Air Force attaining the rank of colonel. Follow him on Twitter at Cedric Layton, C-E-D-R-I-C-L-E-I-G-H-T-O-N, and go to his website, CedricLayton.com. Thank you, Colonel. Thank you, America. Have a great rest of the day or evening. They're our next-door neighbors, and you can actually see Russia from land here in Alaska. She might not be able to see Russia from her backyard, but she's no dummy. Leslie Marshall. Add a little play to your day with the Michigan Lottery. Over 90 online instant games to choose from, with prizes up to $500,000. A Marquette County woman recently won $250,000, playing online. Could you be next? Sign up online today to receive 10 free games with promo code FUN. Visit MichiganLottery.com to add a little play to your day. Here's some things we're against. Hidden fees 
penalty charges, and higher rates that drain your household budget. At Michigan's Credit Unions, what we do can sometimes be best defined by what we don't do. It's how we offer lower rates on auto loans, lower mortgage closing costs, and a nationwide network of fee-free ATMs. To make every dollar you earn go further, go to a place that values you more. Click the banner to find a Michigan Credit Union.